Hello and welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast, the show where we talk about taboo topics in the health, wellness, and fitness space. No topic is off limits here. I'm your host, Tessa Breeden, certified personal trainer and nutrition specialist with a passion for helping women to get fit, feel good, and live boldly. All right. Welcome to the Be Bold Fitness Podcast. Today, we are talking to Ariana Freyer, an artist, creator, and business owner in Las Vegas, Nevada. She lives with her fiance and her pups. Ariana is an advocate for type 1 diabetes and the creator of Cup of OJ, where you can purchase her art, free printables, and more. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Hi, it's so nice to be here, first of all, and so nice to chat with you. I am a type 1 diabetic who has been a type 1 since I was 10, so it's almost 19 years ago I was diagnosed. And over those years, I have not let my type 1 diabetes dictate um, anything about my life. I did for a while, obviously, and and as I age, just kind of realized, you know, I want to go out and have fun with my friends when they're having fun. And I want to experience all the things and not let my chronic illness get in the way. So while also always taking care of myself, I've decided along the way to start sharing about it. So I, a few years ago, started my blog, which is cupofoj.com, where I offer a fresh take on living with type 1 diabetes. And I have low-carb cocktails and low-carb Starbucks recipes and talk about my experiences growing up with type 1. And then uh, a few years later, I started my shop and opened up my small business where I design fun and cute items for people living with type 1 diabetes. And I also do some pet portraits and free printables and things like that for those who don't have type one, but (laughs) making it a fun space. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, no, I have followed you on Instagram for a few years now. I know we were obviously just talking about that before we got started. We feel like we know each other on a more personal level because of social media, which is awesome. But it's been so interesting through my journey of fitness, being able to watch you because I personally currently don't have any clients who have type one diabetes, but it's always been something that has been very hard for me to grasp for some reason. And I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. They'll see people that maybe have like a monitor on their arm, but they're like, do you, do you know if somebody has type 1 diabetes? Is it affecting how they're working out, their nutrition? All of this slew of things. I know I've actually reached out to you a couple of times asking questions because when I was doing different nutrition courses, I'm like, why in my mind can I not understand the concept of insulin? And your platform has been actually very helpful in helping me to understand the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. So for somebody in the fitness world, uh, it's very helpful. But I also think it's really entertaining to see how you go about life, your take on it, how you are making this fit into your lifestyle versus the other way around. And you talk about, like you said, low carb cocktails, low carb Starbucks recipes. And I really enjoyed when you talked about even just dating as a type one diabetic, what that looked like for you. And you've shared some other people's stories about how to kind of quote unquote, prepare for these experiences. So we'll dive into kind of all of these fun things. But your social media is a really fun journey to watch. Obviously, I find you to be a very entertaining person. I know you do a lot about like The Bachelor. We were just talking about reality TV. And I loved your Bachelor series. So we'll have to um, get ready for the next season. But (laughs) I um my my biggest thing about social media is I have a slew of different types of followers. So I, I my audience really is a lot of type one diabetics and like showing others how I live my life, what the things that I do, little tips and tricks here and there. But I I love to incorporate um, information that's very digestible for those who don't have type one diabetes because 
type 1 diabetes has a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of things that people don't know about it. When I was first diagnosed and the doctor came in and said I had type 1 diabetes, I thought, cool, I have diabetes, the old person's Wilford Brimley disease that, you know, they say on TV, I had no idea what it was. So um, this just allows me to really talk to both audiences and hope that I'm not just an account that type ones follow, but I'm an account that people who don't have type one diabetes follow and still enjoy as well. We do. We really do enjoy, especially your cocktail recipes. Those are some of my favorites. Uh, but you mentioned that there are a lot of misconceptions surrounding type one diabetes. And so I'd love to kind of hear your perspective on that and like what you want to clear up that people have this like idea about it. Yeah. So first of all, from a really granular level, um, for those who don't know, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease where your body attacks the insulin producing cells, um, your beta cells. And what this generally can be passed down from, I forget the word. Genetic? Passed down from, yeah, genetic. There we go. <laughs> That's the one. Generally, it can be genetic. Um, some people have multiple autoimmune diseases, um, and, and it can be triggered when a traumatic experience happens. So you might be holding the gene for type 1 diabetes, but it doesn't get released until later on in life. Uh, type 1 diabetes is also called juvenile diabetes, but once again, depending on when the gene is activated, it might not show up until you're 45. Um so I was diagnosed when I was 10 after like a couple months after I got the stomach flu, um, which I think put enough stress on my body for things to get rolling. So when that happens and your body attacks your insulin producing cells, I need to now supplement insulin into my body a different way. So what insulin does is it controls your blood sugars. So in a non-type 1 diabetic body, in your body, when you eat a cookie, your insulin automatically releases to stabilize your blood sugars back down without obviously taking anything for it. My body does not produce insulin anymore. So if I was to eat a cookie and not take any, inject any insulin, my blood sugar would skyrocket. Now, when you hear like, oh, a that my grandma had diabetes and she got her foot amputated or whatever. It's generally because of that can happen when your blood sugars are not under control um, for long periods of time. So there's something called an A1C, which is like your average blood sugars over the, over the past three months or whatever. It's something we get tested at the doctor's office. You want to make sure your blood sugars are consistently within a specific range as much as possible. Otherwise, it can lead to complications later in life, like blindness and loss of limbs and um, a whole bunch of other scary things that <laughs> we don't want to happen to us. So I control my blood sugars with insulin. Um, I take insulin injections throughout the day. I'm on an insulin pen and it is a consistent challenge <laughs> to manage my sugars every day because sometimes I will eat something, take insulin and take too much insulin and my sugars will go low and then I'll have to eat to bring my blood sugars back up into range. And sometimes I take, won't take enough insulin and so my sugars will stay high and then I don't feel well. And there is just a giant, giant world of information about type 1 diabetes yeah. that I keep going but I'll keep it short and sweet. Yeah, no, that's crazy. As I mentioned, I follow you on social media and watch your posts about this. And I always think to myself, like, oh my gosh, I don't understand how you are managing normal life and then having to manage just something on top of it that is so like that is dependent or your health is dependent on. And so it's just, obviously you've now been doing this for, you said almost- 19 years, but it doesn't seem like it's really something that gets easier. It just kind of gets more manageable and it's something that you have to live with. And there are so many chronic illnesses out there, but it is a challenge. And I always applaud people. I'm like, you are managing so many things in life 
And that additional stressor, we all know how much stress can affect our bodies and adding something additional to that um, is, is probably a lot. And yeah, I'm just always very impressed by you and really amazed by anybody that is dealing with any chronic illness because it's not something I've personally dealt with. And it's a very commendable thing to be like, wow, like you're crushing a business, you're crushing life as a fiance, you have dogs, you have a normal life, and you have something else to add on. So yeah, again, huge applause just for managing <laughs> life itself uh, <laughs> as adults, like the ultimate adulting. But I think people oftentimes get type one and type two diabetes confused, because like you mentioned, there can be really severe um, or drastic things that can happen if it's not well managed. So from what I'm understanding, you're saying that if you're managing it and going to your doctor and doing your best to like live the lifestyle that is conducive to your illness, do you find that like it's been something that you've just kind of worked into and have found the flow for yourself? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> It's definitely a full-time job every day to be an, an organ um, in my body yeah. <laughs> along with being a person. But yeah, so one of the biggest misconceptions with diabetes, just honestly diabetes in general, but especially type one, is that it's not, you don't get it from eating too much sugar, um, which is extremely frustrating when the butt of everybody's sugar joke is that they're going to get diabetes. And it's not even like, that's honestly not even how you get type two diabetes. So it's just a little, always so frustrating when somebody, I've used this anecdote before, but I had a coworker once who posted on her story, holding up a double stuffed Oreo and she wrote diabetes under the caption as like the caption of the photo. Mm. I'm like, uh, so I came into work the next day and just like, sorry to this girl, but ripped her a new one about like, yeah, you really think that's funny? You think that's funny? You know, that's not even how it happens, right? And yada, yada, yada. And so that's one of the most frustrating things. But as um, the years have gone by and, you know, going to the doctor and basically as, as if I can continue to just manage my diabetes to the best of my ability, I will hopefully live a very healthy and long and successful life. And will days be perfect? No, no days will ever be perfect. There'll always be vacations where my numbers are terrible and my days are terrible and everything affects blood sugar, whether it be stress, whether it be your period, whether it be um, any hormones, whether it be adrenaline, anxiety, all sorts of different things. Um, on top of insulin, obviously affecting blood sugar and what you eat and the weather. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so it's really a handful of things, but yeah, if I take care of myself and I continually go to the doctor and I just am, am trying to the best of my ability, hopefully, you know, this will be with me for a very long time, but I'll just have to manage it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, love that you share that comment from your coworker because I think that when people aren't educated about things, it can be very easy to let things slip out of your mouth. And being the devil's advocate on that girl's side, I'm sure she meant no harm making oh, yeah. the comment and had no idea. But at the same time, we have to be sort of just mindful about what we're saying and if it's going to offend somebody. And it is nice to know that maybe it isn't quote unquote offensive or whatever. But again, it, it's sort of a sensitive thing. Anytime somebody's dealing with, again, this is a chronic illness. This is something that isn't just going to go away for you once you stop eating double stuffed Oreos. You know, it's something that you are consistently having to live with and having to manage in your life. Like we just said, this is a an additional full-time job for you. And to say that to somebody, it's almost like saying to somebody, oh, you just need to lose 50 pounds or something. Like that would be offensive to a majority of people. And so mm -hmm. I think it's Absolutely. good to know that we as human beings should just become a bit more educated on topics that we are not aware of. Again, I really know nothing about type one diabetes. And this is why we're sitting down having this conversation. 
something may come out of my mouth that might be offensive. And it's good for me to learn that as well. So that going into other situations, I can know how to have these conversations to be open minded, ask the right types of questions. And hopefully, if I have a client that comes along, I can then guide them with like, grace and education that I've now received learning it from other people um, who are living with it. So just everybody should be educated. (laughs) There's nothing that you will say to offend me. I honestly have a lot of gratitude towards you for even sitting down and having a conversation about a chronic illness you really don't know much about in order to better serve your clients and just better understand what the people around you are dealing with. So, yeah, of course, I love learning things. And especially in the health space, I have absolutely no desire to go back to school. And this is the best way that I can get education is from other people. And so I'm like, I will soak up whatever I can get as long as I don't have to sit in a classroom. So much better for me. Um, Okay, so again, you had mentioned that you were diagnosed when you were about 10 years old. So what is something that you wished you would have known when you had first been diagnosed? Obviously, you were very young. Um, I don't know if this is something you had mentioned that it could have potentially been hereditary or genetic. So was this something that your family was like well-versed in or was this like kind of new to everybody? This was, we have no family history of this. Okay. My mom has two chronic illnesses, um, but they aren't diabetes. Okay. So we really didn't know if this was what this was. I'm also not a doctor, so I just lived this experience. Yeah. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if it has to run in the family, but generally I believe it does. Um, but anyways, the, one of the main reasons actually why I started my website and started sharing a lot about my type one diabetes on Instagram and on social media was because I never had, I never had someone that I looked up to in a way where I, that also had type one diabetes that I wanted to be like them someday. Okay. I never saw, yeah, I never saw someone that I was like, wow, look at them just killing it. I love their life. I want to live the life that they're doing and I want to be, you know, have that lifestyle and take care of myself and like still have fun with my friends and, and do all of this stuff. I never had someone like that when I was younger that like I could kind of look up to in a way. And I thought to myself, you know, I've grown into this person that still takes care of herself, but doesn't let this disease stop her from doing the things that she wants. And I think this would be really helpful to share with other people. I like typed in type one diabetes and Instagram and saw that there was definitely an audience and there was definitely people looking and searching for other people like that in the space. So I just started posting and started hashtagging type one diabetes and started finding friends um, on social media. And so I think one of the main things I was, I really wish I knew when I was younger is that this disease will not, like, as long as you take care and play by its rules a bit, you can really do whatever you want. There's not going to be thing. I can't do whatever I want all the time, Yeah, but I can, I can do whatever I want to an extent and still live the life that I enjoy and I'm proud of and love living with this disease that does not have a cure. That's crazy. And again, what what grade are you in when you are 10? Um, I was in fourth grade. Okay. So again, very young. I cannot even like remember back to fourth grade. So that's got to be a really kind of odd time in life to then just be told like, oh, you have this disease that you know nothing about. And you're going to have to go to a lot of doctors. You're going to have to start managing your blood sugar and you're probably like um I cannot even do division like I don't know you know it's it's a very young age to experience something like that what was that 
It's a big chore for my parents immediately. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. And I actually was listening to uh, TikTok. I've become recently very addicted to TikTok. But there is a local girl in Austin who has a severe nut allergy. And she had said something that was really interesting about she had had this allergy her entire life. And so she constantly was having to go to restaurants and advocate for herself and say, I'm allergic to these these types of foods or whatnot at a really young age. So when you were 10, if you can remember that far back, do you think that there was something that you wished you would have known that would have helped you to better advocate for yourself and for your health? Or is that kind of something that you've had to really learn over the years? And like, how does somebody advocate for themselves? Let's just say you were diagnosed with this five years ago. Um, how do you think you would learn to like manage this? And again, advocate for yourself. And that goes into also medications. I know you talk about on your platform how expensive medication is. Oh, yeah. So this is a this is a new <laughs> whole new can of worms. But so one, I think that was like a three parter. So the first part was, <laughs> was how do I advocate for myself when I was younger? Uh-huh. Um, I was so much more shy about my type one when I was younger. I hated people knowing about it because I felt like such a loser. I like, we would go through the McDonald's drive through and my mom would be like, she has to have diet. She has to have diet Coke. And I just remember like covering my face. <laughs> I was so embarrassed that my mom was like yelling at the worker to make sure I had diet Coke. Um, luckily with, Like I was, so when I was diagnosed, I was a lot more strict about eating times. Um, It was difficult to advocate for things. I remember my aunt giving, like we would hang out with my cousin and my aunt would um, give my cousin all of these like really cool, yummy snacks, like pop tarts and like all the best snacks, but I was still only eating at specific times of the day. And Oh, a certain amount of grams of carbohydrates when I first started out. I'm a, way more flexible now, but um, I just remember not being able to have any of those things and my mom being all upset about it. <laughs> um, but now, luckily for food advocating, I'm, I mean, I think it just takes age and confidence. I, I'm not afraid to ask for very specific things in all areas, even if it's not, has nothing to do with my diabetes. If I want to drink a certain way, if I want like my wine chilled a certain way, like I'm very, I'm the same way. I'm very particular and not, you know, why, why settle for something that's less than what you want. And, but I'm, I'm lucky to, my diabetes management can be a lot more flexible now that I am used to things and kind of know how things work. I know how to, I, I don't eat a low carb diet. Um, but I do prefer specific low carb things because I don't want to have to calculate the carbohydrates and mess my blood sugar up. So one of those things are cocktails, which is why I prefer low carb or why I make low carb recipes on my website. Another thing is coffee recipes. If I want to have a holiday coffee recipe, I don't want to have all of the sugar that I know that they're going to put in there. So whatever I can do to cut down on that, I will. It just, I, I really think that my advocacy for myself has just grown over the years. Um, and now I won't really, I know how to stand up for myself. Um, there has been a few times where I have been nervous to take insulin in public. I, that's something I've struggled with forever. Um, and one of my camp counselors, I used to go to diabetes camp. Um, one of my camp counselors said to me, you know, like if they, if someone has an issue with you giving insulin in public, they can look away Yeah, because they're not dealing with this disease. They don't know what what you're going through and you don't have to try to make their environment comfortable for them when you're dealing with something that is uncomfortable for you as it is. Yeah, no, I think that's really great. And I also think that, like you mentioned, it's kind of you 
coming to age, but getting that confidence to advocate for yourself. I'm very much like you in the sense where if I don't like something at a restaurant, I will typically let them know. Or if I try, like when they let you try the wine, if I don't like it, I will typically tell them. And some people get really embarrassed by that. And sometimes I do more than other uh, others, but I, yeah, I don't want to be uncomfortable in situations or to get something that I don't want. And so I think that's important. And I think that not that it was a good thing, but having learned that at a young age, I think gives you that opportunity to grow to be such a strong person because you can stand up for yourself. And you are going to have have situations where people are going to claim to be uncomfortable. And you're like, um, okay, I do not give a flying F if you're uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable for 19 years. You can deal with it <laughs> for five seconds. So Yeah. And, and that's not to say I'm like in people's faces yeah. stabbing myself <laughs> with insulin. You know, it's just like me carefully taking out yeah. my insulin at a restaurant at my own table and the advocating for um the insulin crisis right now um for those of you who don't know the price of insulin has gone up about four thousand percent in i forget as many years as it's been but in not that long of a time and nothing has changed about the product nothing has changed about how it's manufactured um there are only a few companies that own all of the insulin in America and um, they've essentially got to know all the ins and outs of it because it's very confusing to me but they essentially have it very price gouged gouged I believe is the word yeah. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of people are dying in this country because they cannot afford insulin everyone is different based on how much insulin they need to take per day. And a lot of people are rationing it, therefore bringing their numbers to very dangerously high blood sugars um, and in turn dying because they can't access the insulin. And because these big companies are the ones controlling it, they're making so much money off of type one diabetics that it's, I don't personally see it, me seeing it I don't personally see it getting much better in the future. They're passing a few things in the government, but a lot of those things people will throw at type one diabetics like, see, this so-and-so is is doing something about it, but the insulin that they're talking about, let it be Walmart insulin or whatever it is, isn't something that is sustainable or high quality insulin. It's not made the same way from the bigger manufacturers. And therefore it doesn't control blood sugars as well. And it's a whole thing. Um, they told, they, when you get diagnosed, they're like, oh yeah, I can see a cure coming in your lifetime. And not to be super cynical, but it's like, mm, I've stopped waiting for that. I'm, I'm just kind of under, this is like the more depressing side of it, but I'm just under the impression that this is the cards that I was dealt and I will probably manage this disease for the rest of my life and I try to not totally focus on everything that's happening but obviously advocating for insulin prices to come down because obviously what's happening to those diabetics that cannot afford their insulin is not ideal and very sad. That is extremely sad. It makes me like very emotional to even think about that because I that's just and we're not obviously going to talk any like political side of things we do not have the energy to get into nope. anything like that <laughs> but I do think it's very sad and especially for people that are small business owners that most likely don't have great insurance I'm not sure what the insurance looks like I pay for personal insurance as a small business owner and that alone is so so expensive that it like pains me to admit how much I spend on my personal insurance so I, I just cannot imagine um, what that is like, but it is very, very upsetting to hear that this is causing people to die and it's not something that they can do basically anything about. And I think anytime we get into a situation where people can't do anything and are dying, there's obviously 
type one diabetes. There's a million things out there, but it's all very sad to me. I am very compassionate towards people that don't have those resources or the ability um, to uh, literally survive. Um, So I do want to talk a little bit about your healthy lifestyle overall. So first of all, like holy home gym, you built out the coolest home gym that I have seen on Instagram. So that's always really cool to see. I know when you guys were building it out um, and you started posting the finished product, I was like, damn, this is like such a bougie, nice in-home gym. And I'm very jealous. But tell me a little bit about kind of just how you live a healthy lifestyle while managing a chronic illness. You'd obviously said you don't let this take over your life, which is a really great outlook. But what, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, well, thank you for the home gym compliments. That is the majority of my fiance. He has always had a home gym and I kind of, when we moved in together, I was like, okay, well, listen, uh, I want something that makes me want to be in there. Especially we like, we quit our, we both canceled our gym memberships right the, right before the pandemic hit. It was like in February, we just decided, you know, like we're over the gym and thank God we started focusing yeah. <laughs> on the, on our home gym. But I was, we had a, or my mother-in-law gave us their old bathroom mirror that we like this giant mirror that just ended up going perfectly in the garage. And then I hung up these led lights around it that I got on Amazon. And, and then Adam found these like stick and peel kind of wood looking boards And so that kind of brought everything together. And then I finally convinced him that we needed a Peloton. So we got the Peloton and then it was over. (laughs) Peloton is where I thrive. Um, But yeah, I've, I've always, I've always been a person who enjoys working out. I've been going to the gym since high school. I think I just realized that it makes me feel better about myself when I go to the gym. It makes me feel better in general. And I enjoy, I've, I've been able to see my gym results from a very young age. So it keeps me motivated to keep going. My fiance is also very active. So it's, it's nice that we both prioritize a healthier and active lifestyle um, we do have two dogs that both need walks, one of them way more than the other because he's a giant <laughs> lab. So that's been helpful. I walk the dog every day. I try to work out five-ish times a week doing different things. I've just recently gotten back into running. So it's it's definitely been a trial and error um, situation when it comes to working out with type one diabetes and seeing what works for me. And there can be a lot of kind of beating myself up. I, I cannot think about like the calories that I consume and I can't weigh myself and I can't, I just don't prefer to do those things because it doesn't really serve me because I'm thinking about too much other bodily situations (laughs) going on every day that I just do not even have the energy. So, you know, I will eat a, we eat, we eat healthy. We don't drink soda except on occasion. We only drink on the weekends and we, there's a whole plethora of other healthy eating tips I can pull out, but I'm just rambling. Well, yeah, no, it's also nice. You said you don't do low carb, which I think people automatically think that they absolutely have to do low carb. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Your doctors typically kind of give you a range to stay within. Is that correct? When you're first diagnosed, there is just because you're on, well, this is what happened to me. I don't know if it's still like that with getting diagnosed, but I had like, you'll have 45 grams of carbs for breakfast and 45 grams of carbs for lunch and 60 for dinner. And it just helps with how insulin is calculated because you're on injection, you're on like manual and syringe injections. Now with my insulin pen, I, I can eat, which is another misconception about type one diabetes. I can eat whatever I want. If I want a giant cinnamon roll for breakfast with a giant glass of orange juice and a 
I don't know, whatever. Else. <laughs> I want a giant stack of pancakes and regular syrup and all that jazz. Like I can have that. I can eat whatever I want as long as I cover for the amount of carbohydrates that I ate with insulin. Hmm. I personally don't want to have a regular stack of pancakes with regular syrup because a few tablespoons of regular maple syrup has like 50 grams of carbohydrates in it. Whereas that would be a higher, that would be like a bigger dinner meal for me. And that would only cover my maple syrup. So there are swaps and things that I like to use that are low carb that aren't necessarily me eating a low carb diet. Because in reality, for a lot of type one diabetics, eating low carb is just not it's not realistic and it's not sustainable. You need carbohydrates anytime your blood sugar goes low because you need to bring your sugars back up and you need, I mean, preach it girl. I'm a carb, I'm a carb girl all the way. You need to live. It's healthy to eat carbohydrates. So I just make sure that all of our meals have protein, they have carbs and they have vegetables. Yeah. And you're you're, every time of day. I mean, yeah, you're literally talking about exactly what I try and teach my clients on. It's very similar to, I mean, what you're saying in terms of carbs, that is what macro counting is not. And it sounds like you're really not doing it to the extent where you maybe would have had to at the beginning. Or if you had like, let's just say you had um, a weight loss goal that you were really focused on, you would then maybe be a little bit more cognizant of it. But just like anything, I always tell people your macros, your carbs, whatever you're tracking is like money and you get to choose how you want to spend that money. And for you, you don't want to spend your cash on that small amount of maple syrup. You'd rather spend it on a massive dinner or on maybe some like fruit and veggies, which also have carbs, guys. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah, definitely. And throughout the day, it's, Another reason why I can't really beat myself up about it is because if my blood sugar goes low, I'm having a glass of orange juice. And if it's really low, I'm having whatever I can find in front of me that sometimes won't be, oh, just, you know, one one little bag of fruit snacks and like half a glass of orange juice. No, I'm eating the entire pantry. <laughs> and that's just what happens sometimes when I'm in survival mode and feel like I need you know, there's going to be days that I need a st- like a handful of Starbucks, Starbucks, a handful of Starbursts, like three times a day. And is that the epitome of health? No, it's not. But it's what I have on hand. And that's my low snack. And that's my sugars just weren't great today. So I can't consistently beat myself up about having, you know, if I'm working towards only eating so healthy, that will drive me insane because every time my sugars are going low, I'm going to beat myself up about it. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. And one of my favorite things that was ever mentioned in a podcast I did was that we are built to survive. We are not built to thrive. And you're literally just trying to survive. But whether it's type 1 diabetes or not, your body needs something different every single day. Sometimes you may need more carbs. Sometimes you may need less carbs. Like you don't really wake up and your body's like, today's the day. Like you don't know. Like you have no idea what you're going to go into the day with. Like you said, your blood sugars could be affected by the weather, by your period, by the, like the amount of stress you're experiencing. Like you have no freaking clue what your body is going to do that day. So it's like basically playing roulette and you're like, all right, what am, what am I gambling with this time around? Yeah, absolutely. So that is funny. So at the beginning of this, we talked a little bit about the fact that before you were engaged, you did talk about dating while having type one diabetes. And so I'd love to kind of hear like, what are your tips for people that are going on dates? Now, again, you are living like a very balanced, healthy lifestyle. You're in a really good mental health space from what it sounds like about your diet. But what about somebody who maybe hasn't had type one diabetes for as long and is trying to go on dates, like wants to have a couple of drinks, like how do they best prepare for the dates? And then how do they prepare their date for this experience or do they? Yeah. So, so I have obviously I've had diabetes since I was in fourth grade. So I've, I've got 
to grow up and like start liking boys and like like you know really start dating boys and just start going into my where am I going with this my part of life <laughs> where I am attracting you know the opposite sex and figuring out my body and learning everything so basically I dated a few boys in in high school and college and I don't really remember I I think since I was very young I was just very open with it I was like this is what I have and I remember I used to be very secretive about my like my pump because I had a pump when I was in high school um and I didn't like I didn't like sharing a lot about my diabetes, especially when I was like first meeting a guy with Adam, Adam and I, Adam, my fiance, we met in 2016. And this is funny since then we've, um, I have a couple YouTube videos, like asking him questions about, you know, like dating a type one diabetic. And then I also interviewed him about like what it's like to date a type one diabetic on my blog as well. So on our first date, you know, I was talking, texting with him, yada, yada, a little bit. And then I didn't really bring it up until our first date, which was still very much like a, we are getting to know each other. We didn't text yeah. that much beforehand. We met briefly through like a mutual friend, met once at a Halloween party, and then um, went on a date later that week. And it was on the first date. We sat down and I realized we went to sushi or we, we went to sushi. And so I sat down and realized I needed to take some insulin. And I was like, by the way, I have type one diabetes. So I have to take insulin sometimes. And I'll explain more about it later. Something about it like that. And then I just whipped out my insulin pen and gave myself some insulin right at the table. And he was like, okay, cool. I don't care. <laughs> well, that's kind of nice. It sounds like obviously it's going to be different for everybody, but going back to advocating for your health, I think that if it's something that you're like, oh shit, I did not prepare properly for this. Like you don't really have another option. I guess you could run to the restroom and not say anything if you were uncomfortable. But yeah. at the end of the day, if this is somebody, depending on how you're viewing dating, but if you're looking to be in a relationship with somebody, it's maybe something that they need to know because they also maybe need to know warning signs if something is going wrong. Isn't that right? Yes, definitely. So basically my biggest take for anyone and my advice for anyone who's dating and has type 1 diabetes is my mindset going into it was, look, I'm. this is who I am. This is who I'm going to be. You know, if realistically, if someone has an issue with a chronic illness that you have and deal with every single day, they are not the right person for you. If they do not support you, they are not the right person for you. If they blame this illness on you, they're not the right person for you. You you really need to find someone who loves you and or is willing to learn about this disease and doesn't doesn't judge you for having it, basically. No, I think that's great. That kind of goes for anything, but especially like there's literally nothing you're going to be able to do about it. There's nothing they can do about it. And if they have an issue with it, they're probably an asshole and you should run the other way. So mm -hmm. that's great. Do you recommend any like date, like first date friendly cocktail options that you would opt for? Like what would you typically go for? on a date night when it comes to like a lower carb drink? I know you obviously make some at home, but like what's your go-to yeah. when you go out? Actually, one of my most popular blog posts is low carb cocktails to order at the bar, Ooh. which are just automatic fire off. Like no matter what your alcohol preference is, there's something for you. My, well, when Adam and I first started dating, probably that night we had sake bombs. <laughs> <laughs> we went to sushi and it was really fun but I would probably order a I would see if they have margaritas if it's a place that has good margaritas I always stay away from anything with um a pre-made syrup mm -hmm. in it just because that sounds like an absolute headache to try to calculate and I just don't think it'll make my body feel very good um diabetes or not does any of that make yeah, your body feel yeah. good? Well, no, exactly. Diabetes or not, I know it's not going to make me feel good. 
I love a spicy margarita. If they have a skinny margarita, I will always opt for that. If they are have margaritas on the menu, this is another thing about just advocating for yourself. Don't be afraid to say, hey, um, can you make this skinny? Even if it's not listed on the menu. And what skinny is, is generally just lime juice and agave. And say light agave. I My, my go-to is like a skinny margarita with muddled cucumber and jalapeno in it with like a tahini rim. Ooh, I love that. that is, that's my favorite. And then if I don't do that, I'll just do um, a glass of Sauvignon Blanc, white wine. Generally wine, if it's dry, does not affect my blood sugars. I have been noticing that beers have a lot more than they used to be. Every day is a learning experience. Like, I love blonde ales. Any, Mm -hmm. like, blonde ales, white ales are my favorite go-tos. And now I'm finding that I need a few more units um, before I have those. But, like, a light beer won't do much to your sugars. And also, drinking with type 1 diabetes is a learning experience. Obviously, talk to your doctor if you have any concerns with it. But start slow. Always have a base. Drink and eat something, have something in your body when you start drinking. And if you're worried about your blood sugars, check them every few drinks and start to learn how your body reacts to things. But there's still a way to do it that's smart and responsible. That's it. I mean, this is honestly really great advice for anybody. And when it comes to alcohol itself, I think for me, teaching people about nutrition is always just teaching people that there are carbs in alcohol, which is kind of this misconception that alcohol is its own like macronutrient. It is not. And so it has to go somewhere. Um, It sounds like we are basically identical when it comes to drinks. You just listed all of my favorite drinks, even down to the beer order. So (laughs) I was like, we like the same thing. I am not afraid to micromanage the bartender and tell them exactly how I want a drink made. And a majority of the time, people do not care. They just want to serve you your drink. If you're like, I want it this way, this way, this way, like, they're going to do it. If they complain about it, they're not going to come up to your table and be like, wow, you are such a headache. Like, if they're going to say anything, they're going to say something. That's a them problem, not a you problem. You get to sit there and enjoy your delicious cocktail that you just micromanage them to make anyway. So enjoy it. But yeah, I also I'm a big Sauvignon Blanc person and beer is so tough because beer obviously is made from wheat and there are carbohydrates in it. There's gluten in it. I try and opt away from it, although I love beer. Um, Light beers are good options. Again, whether you are dealing with type one diabetes or if you're just trying to stay on the lower carb side of things, I post about this a lot on my page as well, because I don't prefer my calories to go toward alcohol, but I still really enjoy having a couple drinks. So it's finding that balance of what works for you. But again, like you said, one talk, always talk to any your doctor about anything. If there's ever a concern you have and are not sure if you should be doing something or should not be doing something, either talk to your doctor or uh, a nutritionist or a registered dietitian. Typically, I believe, I don't know if you've ever worked with a registered dietitian. Typically, when people do have any chronic illness, they should be working with an RD who is a certified professional and has a degree for it and has a different type of certification other than just a nutritionist or a nutrition coach. But Definitely. Definitely. Like, make sure you're talking to the right people. Now that's mm-hmm. not to be said. I'm sure there's some nutrition coaches out there that are very educated on the subject matter. I personally am not. That's why I'm constantly trying to educate myself. Um, But if I had a client come to me asking these types of questions, I would either refer them out or ask the doc, ask them to have their doctor give you carbohydrate numbers that they need to stay within. Or if their doctor says you need to eat every certain amount of hours, like just be mindful of that, understand that as a coach and know how you can guide that client. It's very easy to take a certain amount of numbers and divide them up into meal portions, whether it be full meals, balanced meals and snacks and things like that. But I'm always like, please talk to your doctor, come back to me, I will talk to your doctor, whatever. But Mm -hmm. making sure everybody is on the right path. Yeah, definitely. And also if you uh, 
when you're ordering a drink at the bar, if you're feeling weird about asking for all these substitutions and you are doing it for a health reason, just say it's for health reasons and they they probably will not say anything. I've said it's because I'm a type 1 diabetic and sometimes I that goes along with like people just not understanding type 1 diabetes, so it's just easier to say for a health reason because I don't need them to be like, you can't have sugar. <laughs> uh, and see, I don't have any anything to say. I just I just do it and yeah. tell them I want it a certain way. And if they don't like it, then too bad. I'll give them a nice big tip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So obviously you love fitness and have always really liked working out. You said you're so good. You try and work out about five days a week. And so let's talk a little bit about how you in particular manage your sugars during a workout in general. And then I'd really love to hear about what you do at home versus being in a workout class. When I'm at home. So for reference, I am on insulin pens, um, which means that I take a fast acting and a long acting insulin or a short acting and a long acting insulin. So once a day at night, I take a larger dose of long acting insulin that stays in my body all day and is slowly released. And it just basically allows my body to know that there's insulin in it um, at all times. And it helps control my blood sugars throughout the evening and kind of like that extra, extra insulin so that if I'm not eating for longer periods of time, my body doesn't freak out because there's no insulin. In so it's kind of like your baseline. Yes. My baseline insulin. Okay. Um, if you're on an insulin pump, that baseline insulin is just consistently, uh, dripped out basically and or dosed through throughout the whole day. So okay. no matter what, if you're on pens or on an insulin pump, you're getting insulin throughout the whole day. And then I will be taking short acting. My short acting, I will take any time I need to correct. So anytime my blood sugar goes higher out of range than I would like it to, and anytime I'm eating something that has carbohydrates in it. So say I'm eating some cheese or some meat or something like that, I don't necessarily have to take insulin. It's not going to do much to my blood sugar. So when I'm working out at home, it is easier for me blood sugar wise to work out when I do not have any short acting insulin in my body because I'm on pens. It's hard to know when that is. Um, but generally if I have given insulin in the past hour and a half hour to two hours, mostly on the two hour end, um, I can expect my sugars to drop low if I'm working out past 30 minutes which is annoying unless I have a snack beforehand, which I don't always like to do. It's I, whenever I go into the garage, I always have a Capri Sun on me because I mean, I could easily pause my Peloton now that they can do that, but selfishly I don't want to. So That's I fair. will just drink a juice midway through a workout, which I know a lot of people don't like to do, but I don't mind it. I'm used to it, which is just funny chugging sugar. Like when I'm working out, very yeah. counterproductive, but you got to do what you got to do. That will work for me. Like I said, working out in the morning is easier because I don't necessarily have insulin on board, but then sometimes I just don't have the energy to do that because after I walk the dog, I just won't want to go into the garage and instantly start working out. So I'll try to not have too much insulin in my body when I start. That's probably my biggest tip. I also break my workouts up I do love fitness and I have worked out for a very long time, but I don't really know all the science behind what I do and why I do it. Like I said, not a doctor or a, you know, a coach in any way, just have doing what works for you. And yeah, who knows if it's the right thing to do, uh, <laughs> but I, I prefer to work out about 45 to 50 minutes per day. I don't like going I don't like any super long rides. The longest boot camp class I've done is a 45 minute boot camp. I just find that it's harder to control my sugars after an hour. Yeah, I tend to stick with, I'll always start with a 10 minute ab 
Um, and then maybe I'll do like a 20 minute arms or a 20 minute legs, depending on the day. And then I will also try to do some cardio, whether that be a boot camp, whether that be a ride or whether that be a run. Um, generally I'll start with the cardio and then I'll do strength. Not sure if that's how it's supposed to be, but that's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> Very cool. And so I actually, I I mean, we could obviously talk the training side of things, but it totally makes sense about having the Capri Sun. Um, I will actually have clients who typically wake up fasted and work out, and they will have a really hard time getting through a full hour workout because when our bodies are exercising and our muscles are using up glycogen, that's what is formed from carbohydrates, it is tiring out our muscles. And when we add that extra carbohydrate mid-workout, that is adding those carbohydrates directly into our body. So those are those fast-acting carbohydrates that give us that immediate, quote-unquote, like, boost of energy. And so you'll see a lot of, like, um, bodybuilders who will eat, like, a candy during workout so that they can sustain a longer period of a workout. So they'll do, like, candy, granola, cereal. Um, There's also a lot of things like intra-workout carbohydrates, which are typically between – 25 and 50 grams of carbs for people that they can then take in halfway through their workout or will sip on something during their workout so they can sustain it for a longer period of time. So it sounds like it's very similar when it comes to managing your sugars, which again, carbohydrates, because you are making sure that your sugars are in a safe space. Because when you're cycling, especially, or doing some sort of cardio activity, your body is using all of that glycogen from your muscles and it's being depleted and you have to restore it somehow. Capri Sun mm-hmm. just happens to be your trick. So yeah, maybe you need to throw in like something. a candy, a candy strip or something. People do those like sour strips a lot of the times. That's like a big mm-hmm. fitness thing. Wow. Yeah. Like <laughs> you are. You are doing the intracarbohydrate. You are basically a professional bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So group classes. What happens yes. if you're in a group class? Do you tell your instructor? Like, what? how do you go about this? Okay, so when I, like, as we discussed earlier, um, we both used to go to a group fitness class place here in Las Vegas. And anytime I, whether it be boxing, whether it be TRX classes, whether it be yoga, whether it be Pilates, whatever, um, I always brought... One, I always had a snack with me. I always had backup snacks in the locker room. And then I would always tell my instructor. I would just say, hi, whatever your name is. My name is Ariana. I'm a type 1 diabetic. Um, I just want to let you know I have a snack with me. There's nothing that you need to worry about. I just want to let you know if you see me stop and eat my snack, I'm fine. And I, it's more of just letting you know what's, what's going on. Because I also never like to be disrespectful. So if, and it's not like I'm, you know, halfway through the class going to be like, Oh, I'm just a type one diabetic. Sorry. Like don't sit the class, you know? So I just want them to like, see me know what's going on and then keep going with class because one, I never want to be a distraction. And two, I don't want the attention brought on to me. And it's just easier that way. If I need to stop during class, I kind of did the same thing in my, um, as I do at home, I make sure that I haven't taken insulin, uh, in the past few hours. If I have, I generally would eat a snack before class just because the classes that we used to do, or they would be hot classes and we definitely would sweat and my sugar would definitely drop. So I always had to start with a snack in those and, and really if you're interested in doing these, these types of workout classes and don't know how your body's going to react, just try it. And it's going to be trial and error with, with any type of exercise with a chronic illness that you have to manage and just to see how your body's going to react. But you know, if it makes you feel better to go with a friend, go with a friend, but definitely don't let don't let your diagnosis stop you from doing something that can better your body just because you're unsure about how it might react, you know, baby steps, of course. And that's why I love working out at home because no one's there to judge me or, you know, make me feel bad if I have to stop halfway through class except myself. But 
Yeah, no, I think that's great. And definitely letting your instructors know, I think would be really helpful. Now I've taught group classes for a few years. I've never had anybody let me know. I've also, I've never seen anybody snacking in my class. So I'm not sure, but I think as an instructor, I would obviously want to know one, not only in case I saw something that was like, why is that person stopping and having a snack or something? I'd probably be curious, but two, just for the safety, having been an instructor, it's so important to me to make sure that I'm providing the right experience for that person. Let's just say something really drastic happened. And I didn't know prior to that, that you were going in and may have an issue. How am I as a trainer supposed to then handle that class? I don't necessarily need to stop everything to come help you. But if I know exactly what's going on, I can get you the right type of help immediately so that we can help you. Obviously, I'm assuming you may wear like a medical bracelet or something that indicates you have one type one diabetes. But Again, as an instructor, that's not the first thing I'm going to look for. I'm going to want to know, oh, I that person came to talk to me and they let me know. And so then when I'm having, or if I'm the one calling 911, I know exactly what to do or know exactly how to treat the situation. I think it makes it more comfortable for almost everyone in the room if you're comfortable with it. Yeah. I also, I totally forgot to mention this. I wear a Dexcom G6. It is a continuous glucose monitor. Um, where it consistently tracks my blood sugars. So I do not have to test my blood sugar as often unless I'm going to calibrate it or I just think it's off. I wear an Apple watch as well. It connects to my Apple watch. So if I decide to leave my phone in the locker room, I can still be aware of what my blood sugars are doing throughout class. Or if I just, I put my phone on, maybe do not disturb, or I set it down somewhere where in front of my mat where, you know, I'm not going to be looking at it, but that way it's there so that I can look at my blood sugars during class. And that is another game changer because if I feel weird and I know that it's not necessarily tied to a low blood sugar and I can see if my sugars are trending up or down and it's just a lot easier to manage without having to draw attention to everything and stopping the workout. Yeah, no, that's great. That does it notify you if if there's like a change happening or do you just have to kind yeah. of watch it? Yeah, if it so the Dexcom has ranges um so diabetic, all diabetics are slightly different, but you should be keeping like a healthy blood sugar range can be somewhere around 80 to 150 is where I keep mine. Some people want it around 130. It just kind of depends on the diabetic that you ask. And there's, of course, of course, the closer you keep it to 100, the better, but that's not always, you know, reasonable for everybody living in their daily life. So I have alarms set if I go above 150 um, and then below 70 so that I will eat a snack if it goes below 70 or if I see that I'm trending below 70 and then I will take insulin if I'm going above 150. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's obviously very helpful to have. And another just tip that I think would be helpful if I was taking a class if you do feel uncomfortable having a snack with you you said that for you like Capri Sun is kind of your go-to put it in a water bottle that isn't recognizable nobody has to know it's a Capri Sun pour that into a different water bottle nobody has Mm -hmm. to know but again I think with anything if you go in with confidence and you're like this is who I am this is how I live my life I think other people around you are going to really appreciate that and be totally fine with it. As long as again, you're telling an instructor, if you're eating a physical snack, just be like, Hey, here's why I might have a snack might not. And then we're like, cool, whatever. Like, as long as you're safe, let me know if you need anything. If you're having an issue, raise your hand, like I'll come to you. Um, instructors typically are nice again, just like dating. If they are not leave, leave, like do you, you do not mm-hmm. owe that to anybody. If you have an instructor that is disrespectful or says no, like be the Karen, tell them management, like nobody deserves to be treated like that. And I think that is a load of BS. So if somebody treats you like that, absolutely run and call the manager. (laughs) And also 
speaking of dating, if you're in a workout class and you're single and there's a cute boy and you have your Capri Sun in front of you, maybe he'll come up and say, why do you have a Capri Sun in front of you? Cute girl. There you or go. Cute person. <laughs> maybe if you have an extra in the locker room, you can even do like an app. <laughs> yeah. You know, use it to your advantage. There you go. I like it. We didn't know this was going to turn into dating tips, but I like the direction this is headed. Okay. So last question for you. How do you feel like by living an overall healthy lifestyle with exercise, generalized healthy eating, balanced living has really improved your quality of life as a type 1 diabetic? Well, the main thing is giving me a bit more peace of mind that I can continue living this life for a very long time. Um, and, you know, I would... Adam and I want to start a family in a few years and having children with type one diabetes is something that I have to be even more, um, strict with my diabetes management in order to have a healthy baby. So it's essentially just kind of setting myself up for a better future and a healthier future. I get my eyes checked every year and because of diabetic retinopathy is the leading cause of, I believe it's the leading cause of blindness in this country. And so I get my eyes checked every year because if, you know, higher blood sugars, like I've, I've had years where sometimes my, when my blood sugar gets really high and it's high for a few hours, like my vision gets a little blurry and that's terrifying. And so luckily I haven't had any sign of diabetic retinopathy. And so it's like, I keep having these doctor's appointments and essentially living this lifestyle that I'm proud of and that makes me feel good and managing my blood sugars. It just kind of is like, okay, I'm taking care of my body for myself and myself, you know, my future self and my loved ones. And I want the people around me to see me living like a healthy life life for a very long time. Um, so and it just peace of mind. I love that. No, I think that's great. And I think it's really great advice. And I truly appreciate you just sitting down, having this conversation. And again, just providing that education and knowledge for people who may not know what type one diabetes is and what it looks like for different people. Now, obviously, it sounds like you live a really fulfilled, wonderful life. And that might not be the case for everybody. But I think that you are here to prove that you can live a very happy, healthy, balanced life while doing the things you love and not letting your chronic illness stop you from doing doing those things. And so where can yeah. people find you if they want to follow along with your journey? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Ariana Frere. Um, you can also find my blog at cupofoj.com and shop um, my store on shopcupofoj.com. All of my blog posts are on cupofoj.com. I also have a YouTube channel if you just want to look up Ariana Frere, where I've been posting a lot of type 1 diabetes things, small business things, whatever we travel. I like to put up a vlog and a lot of wedding planning things as well. <laughs> I love that. Yes, I will have to post the link to your um, article in the knot. I saw your feature. So congratulations yeah, on that. You've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah, oh, it is very exciting. Ariana, thank you so much for taking the time to chat all things type one diabetes, dating, alcohol, fitness, all the fun stuff. Um, I really do appreciate your time and just always reminding people to be bold, to be confident, and to be you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.